Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode 158. Earning seasons is still in full swing. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just getting started, Dividend Talk is the place to be for insights, analysis, and unsalted advice on how to make the most of your money through dividends with our own unique European flavor. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and join our community on Facebook at Dividend Talk. See you on the inside. Hey, European DJ. How are you, my friend? Hi, I'm really excited. You know, it's uh, summer. The rain has returned. Uh, nature is becoming much greener again. My lawn is recovering. So I'm really, really happy. And generally, I'm happy that I can talk with you about dividend investing because that's truly where my passion is. How, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Europe can thank me for bringing the rain from Ireland to Europe. Um, I was traveling not for pleasure this time, mind you, it was for business. Um, but I was in Italy all last week and we brought some rain with us. So we tried just to help replenish the, the continent after all this hot weather you guys were getting over the last few weeks. But um, it's been it's been a long week. I feel like I haven't spoken to you for ages. We recorded early the previous week, if I remember, mm-hmm. um, on the Tuesday. So it's nearly a full week has, has passed since then. Um, but I'm looking forward to this. Earnings season is still, as we said, in, in full flow. And we've got some some nice companies we're going to look at today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also some nice dividend hikes uh, have been there again. So, I mean, you know, but we, we have to talk about one thing, of course, and, and we are both investors. So we follow a little bit uh, corporate news and there's just one epic battle upcoming because Elon Musk and Zuckerberg are at least what they say going to have a cage fight. Now, what do you think about this? Who will win? I mean, honestly, if you're looking at what they're posting online, I would have to say Zuckerberg is going to win this. This man is in some serious shape. He's training. You can see pictures of him training. I think he also put like a cage in his backyard or something. I don't even know if that's true or not. Um, and all I see from Musk is like keyboard worrying, just saying I'm going to smash you, but not actually showing any proof that he's he's doing any training. So my money is on the Zuck, Zuck on this one. Yeah, but what a time we live in, right? I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking always about Tesla being kind of the Henry Ford of our century, yeah. And the guy is going into a cage fight with, with, with his biggest rival. For me, this is something unheard of, and it, it is almost like a parody if you think about it. It's two guys with too much money and too much times in their hands. So let's, <laughs> let's let's be honest about it. They have nothing else to do other than just troll each other and, and try. Yeah. But but either way, look, it's good publicity for both our platforms. I think these guys know exactly what they're doing. Um, yeah, and yeah, that's of course fierce competition, right? Um, yeah. And then let's let's see where it ends up. With uh, Elon Musk wants to create a kind of a WeChat out of uh, Twitter. They they changed the name already in X. I must confess, I'm not really easily getting used to it. But I guess uh, I'm I'm anyway reluctant to change at times. So for me, uh, going from Twitter to X, it sounds really awkward. I mean, what what do you call tweets now? X's? I mean, I don't know. I'm confused. I'm so confused about this whole branding thing. Well, X's are my former girlfriends. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And tweets not. <laughs> yeah anyway i mean i don't i don't know i don't know this guy has has so much money he can do whatever he likes and and to a certain extent he's showing that to the world yeah well anyway like uh, our friend drip always says on uh, twitter let's stick to dividends boys and girls and we had quite some dividend hikes right so i mean if you're into the uh do-it-yourself uh kind of space and and you you like building your own stuff then you must love the dividend hike from illinois tools works they hiked their dividend by 6.9 percent ticker symbol itw and then they're one of their bigger competitors but more focused i guess on the consumer um the, the i said the retailer at home uh, because Stanley Black & Decker has also hiked their dividend, but only with a meager 1.3% uh, to $0.81 cents per share. 
and also last year they did i believe a quite small hike yeah. although it marks their 56th consecutive years of dividend growth it just shows that stanley black and decker needs their cash flow at the moment uh, in my opinion of this cohort uh, snap-on is, is definitely the uh, the best one because they have kind of no no depth on the balance sheet and you can see that it also therefore outperforms a little bit during these kinds of times where where that becomes more expensive yeah now then we have consumer staples like mondelez international the the chocolate uh, manufacturer they hike their dividends by 10.4 percent to 42 and a half quarterly cents per share 11 consecutive years of dividend increases current yield is around 2.3 percent ticker symbol mdlz and then i think your favorite stock you may you may mention this one yourself actually yeah diageo the famous guinness guinness owner has hiked their dividend by 4.4 percent which is uh, quite a decent hike i would say considering the high inflation environment i was not expecting it to be so high and um, that gives them a final dividend this year of 49.17 p and their overall yield is 2.3 percent yep definitely and then we have unfortunately always when i see this company it's simon property group i always think about dividend dane who was in season one on the podcast who unfortunately uh, uh passed away way too early um his his, his favorite stock hiked their dividend by 2.7 percent uh ticker symbol spg and um i believe this brings the dividend uh to 6.1 percent uh, at the moment dividend yield of 6.1 percent yeah yeah, you're right. I think this is their second actually dividend hike this year. So 2.7% is not big by any means, but overall, I think for the year, it brings it to around 5.6% of an increase, which is not too bad. Yeah. Um, we also have French Vinci. Um, they will pay a 5% higher interim dividend of one euro and five cent per share. And um, so for those of you that don't know Vinci, they are engaged in construction infrastructure development concessions and energy services um, i find this kind of sector really good to look at because i think it gives us an early indication of where we are in terms of rates and inflation and costs um, as i think it gave us an early indication previous before we we came into that so it's encouraging to see these types of companies able to increase by five percent or, or more yeah then Iron Mountain and the Real Estate Investment Trust focused on document storage hikes their dividend by 5% to 65 uh, cents uh, per quarter. And then, I mean, my favorite company in this list, and I'm going to mention it again, Walters Kluwer, they hiked their interim dividend to 72 cents per share for the 63 cents last year, which is a hike of 14, 14.3%. Take a symbol WKL from the Netherlands. I mean, amazing, amazing. What I a mean, hike. I, I think this is the perfect time actually to move into our earnings section because Walters Kluwer are one of these boring dividend companies that we know you love. And, and they also released their results this year. So it'll be interesting to hear from you. How did they actually perform? Yeah, so if you look at their first half year results, right, they have a 4% more uh, revenues yeah uh, in in constant currency so they say if you take the stronger or the weaker dollar out of it it would be six percent organically that's quite a lot six percent organically i would say uh, what i really like with this business is that it's effectively having a service model yeah they they like 10 15 years ago they sold uh, cds and dvds nowadays it's all uh, uh how i say it service-based cloud-based and they have 82 percent of total revenue and recurring uh revenues so it just shows like the stickiness of the business model and it's what, kind of what you see with the SaaS providers as well um if you then look at their delete diluted uh just eps is currently 2.17 euro as uh, an increase of six percent compared to last year and their free cash flow 495 million uh, what i really like about this company because if you start um how is it listening to the greatest investors of all times think about charlie munger uh ken fisher uh, and these they always talk about return on capital and return on invested capital this company again has a return on invested capital of 15.4 percent and they're doing this on average. Their guidance for 2023 is actually 165 to 17%. And they are currently are having an actual between 14 and 16%, right? But yeah. for me, this is usually the definition of a, of a high compounder. 
Yeah, I mean, I have to say that if you look at this company, as I said in the intro, it's a boring company. It's a Buffett-type company when, when you look at it. Um, and I think they've been giving us phenomenal returns over the last couple of years. It's a company that I kind of wish I owned, but I have I have a small piece in a, a pie, a Dutch pie that I think I, I copied from you. Um, but I don't own them as a full position or, or any sort of position. But it's definitely a company that should be on many people's radars. Um, and hopefully they'll come back down in price at some point because it's a company I would love to love to own. Look, look at the look at the hikes that they're giving us. Um, consistent company, and I think it's underrated. I think in the European community. Yeah, but, but even so, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at the price chart. In 2012, it was trading at about 14 euros. It's now trading at 112 euros. So in 11 years, it went almost 10 times. Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of almost a 10 beggar for people that were investing in it at that time. And at the time, you probably got a decent yield. So for me, again, here, uh, what I also find really interesting here is that because if you look at, uh, for instance, the, the cash flow, right, the free cash flow, what caught my attention is that the, how is it, the, the amount of dividends paid in the first half of this year is 247 million. And last year in the first half, it was 264 million. Yeah, so um what is also showing here and, and and i can i know where it comes from because they are buying one billion back in shares over the last year in, in 2022 and they are doing the same this year so uh, you know at this at the moment they are just buying back a lot of shares which i think is really beneficial to the company because they have a market cap of about 30 billion 29 billion so buying back shares at the moment at one at a one billion rate gives you already a three percent uh, uh return on this one so this company is just um you know i say that uh chugging along as a, as a as a company but at an impressive rate and you know their interim dividends as well 72 two cents I'm, I'm liking it a lot i'm really liking it nice um so i might talk a little bit about legrand um i know you posted a chart on these during the week asking us to guess the company and it's very interesting looking at the dividend chart because it's not always in a straight line up they don't increase it year on year as a couple of years where they hold it steady but like the yeah. overall trajectory is is up but well, can you explain what legrand is doing uh, to the people that don't know it yeah of course so for me my background is electrician i was an electrician by by trade and legrand is one of these companies that provide electrical um, components, but also components for building in infrastructures. Um, so you're looking at stuff like your wiring devices, your cable management systems, home automation, building automation, power distribution. So in all aspects of electrical services, from the components to the cables to the actual um, units needed to drive electrical current to your homes, the grand are involved in pretty much all of that. And it would be known as a premium brand um you do pay a little bit more for these but as tradesmen you tend to go for the, the premium brands because they're a lot more reliable they're easier to use they're easier to work with which makes it quicker which makes it better for you as an installation engineer but also the satisfaction then from the customers comes from that because it looks tidy and, and so on um they've been around for for decades but they'd be one of the top two or three companies in this field for anything um, electrical wise yeah when i go on a kind of a stock safari to the home improvement shop here castorama i see always legrand and and schneider electrics see, yeah. having, having walls of uh, light switches uh, mounted against the walls and then those are really the choices that you have here schneider electric legrand and another brand yeah like as as a person that's maybe not in a trade when you go to a, a standard shop maybe like the b&q or home depot or, or stuff like that in, in europe you'd probably be more familiar with it with them for their home automation and some of their security and access controls because that's what's on display and then some of the lighting as well um but they do offer a lot more than that um, but you have to be obviously in yeah. the business and, and going into these areas but as i said it is a symbol of quality typically french companies are aren't they like how many french companies do we say are quality they seem to to get things right um, but again, for me, it's it's quite interesting to follow this market. It's a market that it's it's very close to home to me. You can always tell with construction, as I said before, whether we're kind of what kind of cycle we're going through. Um, and aside from Russia, which they're trying to pull out of our, they're they're mitigating against our operations in 
in Russia. They've had a really, really strong first half of the year. So much so that they have actually revised its four-year targets. They've actually increased their targets upwards. Um, so I'll just take you through some some of the numbers. So the sales increased 4.9% to 4.2 billion. And this is an increase of around uh, an increase of around 4.9%. And 1.3% of that came from acquisitions. And Europe, which is pretty much in a weak residential phase at the moment, actually contributed 6.8% of sales as well. So it's just quite encouraging from a, from a European perspective. Um, operating profit grew by 13%. Net profit also grew by 15%. And the free cash flow increased 11.4%. And what's actually interesting is if you look at the revenue, the free cash flow equates to roughly 19% of the revenue generated. Um, and they've done this while decreasing their debt load. They've re reduced it by 15.6% to 2.8 billion um, this year as well. So I, overall, I think it's quite a positive first half. We can see signs that the economy throughout Europe is starting to improve. It's starting to get better despite what you read in the news. Um, we're starting to see that turn around and, and these guys know how to use their free cash flow well as well. So I'm happy to see them decrease their debt levels and honestly seeing their, their cash flow that strong cash flow i'm not surprised by that dividend chart that you posted during the week <laughs> yeah maybe maybe for the listeners the sticker symbol lr on the french uh, stock exchange uh, currently they trade about uh, a two percent yield and a pe ratio of 20 19.7 uh, so it's not even too expensive it just shows that they have a relatively low payout ratio Good, really interesting company, and um, we should really put them once uh, opposite each other, Schneider Electric and Legrand, to kind of a, a mashup on this one. Yeah but, before, yeah. but before we go to the next talk, I just want to mention, uh, you know, we have an active Facebook community at Dividend Talk, and they were asking us already, when is the show released? Because we have quite some runners that really depend on our show. So, Javier, Marek, and uh, Patrick, if you're running right now while listening to this, just know that you're probably half away. And I hope that, uh, how is it? You still have a lot of air to to go forward, that your muscles are really flexible so that, uh, you know, you can continue the run for another 20 minutes to half an hour. Stay strong and uh, you'll get there. It's a healthy job. We're with you. Good. Then uh, if we look at the next company, um, for me, it's a company that I really find intriguing. It's Starbucks. I, I initiated a position last year in the, around the 70s um, when they kicked out the uh, former CEO, when the, new, uh, when the old CEO came in then again, like uh, Howard Schultz. Uh, stop, stock price really dropped because they stopped the buybacks and everything. And it didn't look good. The, the, the CEO before was just not go doing a good job. But for me, it was an opportunity to initiate a position. There's always an issue that I have with this stock is the uh, lack of uh, shareholder equity because of all the buybacks, but I think they're recovering from that now. And also they have been um, doing the right things by focusing again on their uh, baristas and such and making sure that they have everything they need to do a good job. Now, what what the, what I would like to mention here, if you look at the third quarter um, highlights from last, uh, last quarter, I think what stands out is just the the global comparable store sales increased by 10 percent i mean sometimes you wonder how much people can still afford to to buy uh, a cappuccino or something like that at starbucks because i mean for me it's really expensive i rather pay up for the stock than i pay up for the for the coffee here but the, the brand is for me like i always see lines there i always see lines and of course you know there was a lockdown in china last year so no surprise then that uh, in china they had a 48 percent increase in comparable transactions so that that's that's really really a lot so saying all of this right uh, the net revenues were 9.2 billion 12 percent up from last year so also here again that's a lot of lot of um, uh, growth going on and uh, all of this, uh, when you when you look at it, is five percent increase in transactions globally and four percent in average ticket price. So it's it's not just the the price that is uh, increasing that where they get additional revenues from, but also just more customers. And then they have one thing here, which which I always like uh, when companies have this, and this their loyalty program they they increased to 31.4 million i believe this is mainly in the united states up 15 percent year over year i mean 
what better customers can you have that have a loyalty program and, and sign up for this, yeah? So for me, these were amazing numbers. It was about time after a few quarters of a bit of drama here and there with um, uh, Starbucks, but I think they are really getting back on track. And I'm just really happy that I used the opportunity because this stock has always felt expensive. Yep. And then, then yeah, last year I just felt I got a golden opportunity. I bought some, not too much because I never buy a full position at once, but um, it's looking good. Yeah, and then maybe one, one last thing that I wanted to call um, out here which is really interesting to me. So did you know that in the US they have about 17 and a half thousand, half thousand stores and they make about 6.7 billion in revenue from that. Internationally, they have 19,600 uh, stores and they make slightly below 2 billion of revenue from this. So what, what, does, what, what can we make from this number? If you're an American, you're not too happy because you're paying by looking at it nearly three times the amount what the rest of the world are paying for the same products. But I don't think they pay more. I think it's just more busy in the stores there. They, they probably stores just generate in general more revenue um, yeah. there. The, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what the footfall through through all of them is, but you you could be right. It's either prices are inflated in there, or there's more people with a more cost per head going into the yeah. United States. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure. I, I look at the Irish store, for example, and it's always packed, and it's probably relatively small comparatively to what you'd see in America, but it's always, always packed. I went in there for the first time three weeks ago, I'm going to say. I brought my two nieces with me because they are mad to go to yeah. Starbucks. Um, and I think that's just the whole social media, what they see on YouTube, so Starbucks is there. I spent 34 euro on three coffees or I didn't get coffee. I don't know what yeah. they got, but I mean, comparatively, if I went into Acosta, that same thing would cost me maybe half the price. So I, I couldn't believe the cost of it, first of all, but so many people there are, are buying it. And I know it's probably bigger in America than what it is here in Ireland as well. So, yeah, I think it's indeed bigger in America, but you know, I've been a few times in America and I never really saw a big delta in the prices between the States and, and some of the European countries. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, the only thing I always have is like, I would not buy food really in at Starbucks uh, yeah. here. And maybe that's where they earn a bit more. I, I haven't gone into the numbers there because for me, the, the stuff that they sell, I rather go to a local bakery, that, which is usually like, uh, within a hundred meter radius if you want to have a proper cake or something a sandwich yeah. or something like that yeah but it, it's definitely an interesting statistic to look at it though store count to revenue um i would love i would love to see uh, probably somewhere they might have it the cost per person do they have that in that detail of, of what they're paying yeah. just just to get a feeling of is it more people or is it they're paying more in america but it's it's uh, definitely an interesting interesting statistic to look at yeah so happy owner of starbucks um i hope that they will uh, continue focusing a little bit on their balance sheet uh, and and they did a little bit of buybacks but not too much luckily so i hope it will stay like this because then the company in my opinion uh, gets also more healthy yeah nice one um so sticking back to europe there's lots of european companies this this week i'm going to venovia um, and we spoke about Venovia a lot of times on this company, and eventually, I think me included, I put it in the two-hour bucket. Um, and actually, even looking through their earnings, sometimes there's lots of presentations. There's a lot of different information in there, and it's hard to pick out what you need and, and what's going on with the company. But I do know a lot of our um, followers, a lot of our community own and still own Venovia, so I think it's always good to to discuss them on the show. For those maybe in America that don't know what Venovia is, it's a German real estate company um, that really specializes in renting and developing residential properties. Um, there are two main areas. So if we focus on them for the moment, they say that their core rental business grew at around 10% in the second quarter of 23, which is quite strong. Um, so this is primarily the, the rental area where their va vacancy rate was only 2.2 percent um rents also ingre increased in this space by 3.5 percent as well um i know there was lots of talk maybe 18 months ago around the rent pressures in germany there was lots of stuff going on in the news as well but they've seemed to be able to navigate their way through this and uh, make a decent return over the last 18 months because this was one of the areas where we felt they might come under lots of pressure um, so for them to keep the va uh, vacancy rate low 
and increase the rents slowly is, is, is quite something. Where they do fall down is in their other part of the business, which is their business development, where they take properties, they do them up and they try and sell them on. Um, this hasn't worked out quite well from this quarter. Um, in fact, revenues dropped by nearly half, by nearly 50% in, in this market. So that's quite a big hit. Um, overall, I think revenue is kind of flat and funds from operation is relatively flat. flat. It's, it's 0.3%. So I think the two of them are kind of offsetting stuff. Um, one thing I did notice, though, is that the costs, so the costs involved in improving, so when the you know, re reconstruction houses and stuff, the, the costs involved in that, that actually decreased significantly as well. That decreased by 46%. So we're talking about this cost of goods, cost of sales. We can see now on a positive side that it's not costing them as much. Um, but on the flip side, they're probably not flipping these houses over. They're not selling, selling quite as quickly as they did maybe 18 months ago, which is why they're their revenue was hit there so look i think overall it was a kind of a neutral um quarter for them they they still haven't done anything to to look like they're completely out of the woods yet but their share price did drop significantly Um, looking at the funds from operation to their dividends it looks like it's well covered it doesn't look like that's in any danger um so i think most finovia shareholders looking at this won't be too disappointed and and won't be in a rush to sell their shares either so how, how should you look at this then? Do you consider this to be rather, because it's not a dividend growth stock anymore like that, right? But do you consider this then a turnaround story? Is that, that how we should look at? Yeah, I mean, I think turnaround story is probably too, too hard for this company because I think their troubles was with obviously high inflation rates, high interest rates, all that. For a company like this, we know that it's going to affect them. They also got, carry a lot of debt as well. So it was always going to be hard and in challenging times. It's how they navigate that. Can they protect our cash flow? Can they get through this and protect our shareholders? And it looks like they've done a relatively good job of this. Now, I have to say, um, it's been quite a short period. I think all of us expected if it was two to three years, they might be able to navigate it. But if we had a, pro a protracted period where interest rates remain high and they can't increase the rent, it becomes a different story. But I think they've done relatively okay. As I said, it's a hard business model to follow. Um, but I, I think they're actually done okay. I, I don't think it's quite a turnaround story because I don't think they've been as bad as 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 what the market has priced them in as. It's just the, the macro environment was a difficult yeah. one to, to navigate for them. Yeah, for me, I would say it's also on the too hard uh, pile for me. That's why I also don't invest in them and don't really further look at them. But I know it's a popular stock in the community. Um, for me, it's also this thing like that their rents are kept by 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 law almost right. So for me, it is like you're not really in a free market operating there. So that's also for me an issue here uh, with such a company. Yeah, yeah. I I, I wish the investors luck, of course, with this one because it has not been a nice story from uh, both a capital point of view and a dividend uh, point of view. It has been like not nice. They did speak of a joint venture. Um, with a company of a similar size. They didn't give too much details around that, at least not on the, the news release that I'm reading there. So maybe they are trying to expand and, and come out of Germany. Well, we know they are. So it'll be interesting to see the details of that joint venture and how that will, will help them. Well, I think they first should focus on themselves because, um, you know, first clean your own house before you start uh, looking elsewhere. Oh, boy. Okay, um, maybe then one more stock, which is Lydell Basel. Um, it's another European company. Um, and again, for those that don't know them, they are a chemical company based in Germany. So they produce chemicals and, and plastics. And I think they're probably most famous for their strategy called their Verbund strategy, which is basically German for integrated. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's what they give their mode on. It's 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 how they present themselves, and and basically what that means is that they operate in different areas. So they have chemicals and plastics, and they try and integrate these together by strategically placing sites close to each other, close to where all their um, resources are. So it's, it's as efficient and as cheap as possible to produce, and then get these out. So that's what that's what they're famous for, and they try and try to do this quite. Um, quite quickly, I think there's one being built in China at the moment. Well, it was last year. That could be already built. Um, so that's their strategy. Um, what do you think of their numbers this this quarter? 
Well, you know, first of all, we need to realize they come off really high numbers last year. Yes, so last year around this time, they had a sales after six months of 28 billion. And now after six months, it's been around 20 and a half billion. Uh, we all know what happened last year with the energy prices and everything. So this was kind of to be expected. And I believe also shareholders were rewarded with that because if I remember correctly, they got like a 5.2 dollar, um, how you say it, a special dividend last year as yeah. well. So I think most of that went to shareholders. So effectively, uh, you could argue that sales fell off a cliff, um, but you know it stabilized because in the first quarter they made like 10.2 billion in sales and now 10.3 billion. So I think we are back to normal again, and the earnings per share were was two two dollar and forty four uh, cents. So and if you think about uh, two dollar forty four cents and the last quarter two two point five, we can say that you know they pay about ten dollars or they get earn about. Ten dollars in net income per share, let's say, and the quarterly dividend has just been hiked to one one dollar twenty five. So we're talking here about a fifty percent payout ratio, um, and and this is also um, what I really like just in general about the company because the free cash flow is still good. Uh, they made like one set one point seven billion in 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 cash flow from operating activities minus the cap capital expenditures of 6 650 million you're talking about let's say 1.1 billion in free cash flow and only an 800 million in dividends so in the end they still have like 300 million left that they can do things with for instance cleaning up their balance sheet or repurchasing some uh, some shares if they wanted to and they're doing that but really small uh really really just um uh, a few there so all in all for me these earnings were pretty good uh given the circumstances uh, you get the company currently at a five percent yield which is also not too bad it's not a, a high dividend grower um but you know if you want to be in this space i think this is one of the more reliable companies yeah, reliable is a, a tough word for me with this company. It's it's my biggest fear with them is that they did go bankrupt in two thousand and nine, I think, and yeah, came out yeah, that yeah. they they restructured that in two thousand and eight. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure their management has evolved and changed since that day, but there's no getting away from that fact that they were relatively poor managed True. to get into that. True. So it's 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 one of my concerns about that company. But certainly over the last 11, 12 years, they don't show signs of that, and and actually, yeah. Even though it is quite cyclical, they look like they're managing it a little bit better. So look, it's just something, as I said, reliable is, is hard for me to say with this company, but it, it does look like it has turned the corner in the last decade. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to some listeners' questions. We've got quite a few to get through. Um, so I'll start with Simon's question. Um, he says, as your dividend income increases year on year, how do you account slash budget for your increasing local tax liability G1 dividends? Well, you know, I don't know how it's in South Africa, but in Europe, at least with brokers like uh, De Giro, Interactive Brokers and such, your dividend is already withheld by the broker. Yeah, so um, living in Poland, I pay a 19% tax. With most countries, we have a um, double taxation treaty, which on dividends is around 15%. So what I really need to reserve is an additional 4% uh, for this. So as it is relatively, uh, I said, doable for me, I just pay this from my regular income at the end of the year. Usually I get some money back as well. So it kind of evens out. Um, so yeah, because, because of the reason that the dividends are mostly withheld already, it's not such a big, uh, big amount for me. Would it be a big amount? then in that case because uh, the person is talking about doing a drip um I, I i honestly wouldn't know what to do the, because then the question comes like uh, and imagine even that you wouldn't want to take it for income then you would need to stop the drip yeah and, the, and but i find the drip so powerful the dividend reinvesting that i would rather keep it like that and probably take it from from elsewhere um but on the other hand i would also not want to shell the uh, sell my shares either so if it is if it can't be done for my income and i would then reserve a little bit for that every month if needed budget for it then i would just have to stop the, the dividend reinvestment on a few stocks to to collect the to collect the tax payment okay good 
Um, Elo half has asked us a question. Um, with a dividend portfolio that has started to become a bit more substantial after many years of dollar cost averaging, um, I'm starting to question my monthly contribution. Basically, his monthly contribution is still big in comparison and resembles less than 0.5% of his portfolio. And with that, it can move his portfolio several times his monthly contributions in a day. Um, so it's it's a long question. <laughs> um, yeah. So he's asking, how should he think about this? Um, if ever, does the monthly contributions not make sense anymore? Yeah, and I understand what he gets. Let's say you have a half a million portfolio, 500,000. If the if the stock market goes down one uh, one percent, you lose uh, uh, in theory five thousand uh, euros, while you're maybe only contributing two thousand euro uh, on a monthly basis, right? Um, so look, what I've done at the beginning of my um, journey, I calculated how much I need to invest on a monthly basis to reach my goals at a certain amount of time. Let's say 15, 16 years. I'm sticking to, uh, to this all the way to the end. It is true that at a certain moment in your portfolio, and let's say in the last 30% of reaching that goal, that dividend hikes in your portfolio are contributing more to your projected annual dividend income growth than your net contributions. But you need both. In the beginning, you are more dependent on one, and later you're less dependent on the other. What you what I could do, of course, is saying, like, you know what? My portfolio grows uh, organically with, uh, let's say, the dividend hikes for, I don't know, 5%. You know what? Instead of retiring or being financially independent in two years, I stop investing and I just let it run for five years and I will be at that uh, uh, finish line. Yeah, I could do that as well. But on the other hand, what will I do with that money then if I'm not investing it for that? Yeah, uh, then I just would splurge it on vacations and everything. And maybe that's also what you want. So for me, I'm not so indeed not looking at the portfolio fluctuation because it has nothing to do with my goal. My goal is purely on 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 buying dividend income, and still every little bit helps with a few euros that pay a bill again. So that that's where my mindset is. Um, but I fully understand this. And if you want to take it more easy because you have been living on ramen noodles for the last 10 years, yeah, well, maybe then indeed let it run a little bit and, uh, you know, go for, uh, take take your other half for dinner one time. Yeah. 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 I think, I think for a dividend growth investor, this one boils down to your buying income. Um, yeah. If you're, if you're a value or, or growth investor, it might be slightly different because you, you're not buying income. So it might be yeah. harder to, to invest in that. But focus on, the income that it will give you and not the price fluctuation and it might be easier to, to do but yeah fair fair point um ray jan has asked us what kind of dividend growth over the long term do both of you use for planning and how did it go so i i plan six percent uh, annual dividend growth organically and 3.25 percent dividend yield at the time of investing um, i can say that my mix is a little bit different it's a little bit more than 3.25 percent the time of investing and my uh, organic growth has been a bit lower. Uh, a reason for that was, for instance, in 2020 when Shell did the dividend cut. I think I had a 0% dividend growth that year. Um, last year, I think I made 3 or 4%, but it can be seen on my blog in the annual reports that I uh, write. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I use quite similar numbers, 5% dividend growth, 3% yield. Um, I'm quite different. My yield is probably a lot higher. It's up around five, five and a half percent. And the growth was roughly, I think last year was roughly 5%, but it was the first year that I reached that. A couple of years before that, there was a couple of dividend cuts that, that offset that. But that's typically what I use to to forecast my long-term planning. Um, Neil Brass has asked us, if you had a spare week with no work and family commitments, which industries, sectors would you take a deep dive into? Yeah, for me, it will be real estate investment trusts. I would really want to understand a little bit more like, am I satisfied with the amount of allocation that I give it in my portfolio or should I own a little bit more? Um, because generally, it's a, it's a small size in my portfolio. I've got, of course, realty income uh, there. I've got some CBUS. But I think there's a lot of wealth to be generated in real estate in general. Uh, in the sectors and specifically at times like these where maybe interest rates are really high if a company is able to flourish through that i think there's a lot of upside potential as well 
Yeah, I, I would dig down a little bit deeper, probably more in mortgage rates, because um, it's it's obviously a high yielding place at the moment. But again, I think that there's probably money to be made there. Um, but you need to really understand that that business and, and how it works. So if if I had no work, no family commitments and time on my hands, yeah, probably in, in mortgage rates specifically. Um, let, let's look at a question from Javier. So he asked us to tell us five stocks that you consider at a fair undervalued price. Yeah, so, so Javier, uh, th this is a bit too much to answer. I can give you one and that's British American Tobacco. I discussed it also in my video yesterday um trading at around 25 pounds i believe it's worth you know high 30s low 40s uh, nine percent yield at the moment uh, i think it's definitely undervalued um, i believe in the long-term future of this stock it, it is of course the whole industry uh is is in the is banned of effectively by <laughs> by many uh esg investors so you have to deal with lower for longer multiples that's for sure um, but you know these can generate really really lots of compounding in your portfolio if you are able to snoop them up uh, provided that of course the industry doesn't crash uh, for whatever reason um Matthias has asked us have you ever looked into securitas ab ticker symbol secu hyphen b um this is another swedish company obviously we did a show here on I think it was a five, maybe five or six Swedish companies, and they didn't pop up on that list, and probably for for a reason. Um, for those that don't know about the company, I'm vaguely familiar with them. They are involved. You, you'll often see them. They're involved in like the security um, area, so and access controls, fire fire safety, um, remote monitoring, and, and that kind of situation. Um, looking at their financials, the only red flag I can see is that they have cut their dividend in 2020 and it is still not back at the level that it was when, when they cut that. Um, that might change this year, but from Kaifin, it looks like they've still cut that. Um, I think personally there's better companies to look at in Sweden than, than this company. I also think companies like this are easy to copy and mimic. I, I don't know what their moat is, if you get me. Um, I mean, I really don't. There's hundreds of these companies around, and and even now, so when you get to wireless, and even Google do a ring doorbell, and all these all, all these kind of security features. So I'd find it hard to see where the growth will come from. I said they have cut the dividend, and I personally would think there's better companies in Sweden to to look at. Yeah. Um, the next question is from Jeffrey Matt, and he said, "Have you ever researched a company called Corning Incorporated?" ticker symbol GLW and um, the company make optical displays for TVs and phones they also fiber optics and cables in the aerospace field um, and do we have any thoughts on this well I've not studied as as from a stock point of view but I have been in um, I said I've been touched let's say with the company in the past and their products are top-notch they're always impressing me uh, the displays the screens so I can only tell you that my perception is that it's a high quality business, but I'm curious to to, to your thoughts, Derek. Yeah, for me, it's the same. Um, I did a small bit of research on the company before as well. And if I remember, they're the makers of this Gorilla Glass, um, which is highly painted. And they got lots of different paintings going on as well. Um, I ran them through my screener. There was no real red flags. The dividend yield was above 3%. The dividend growth rate was around 5%. Um, so from that perspective, it looks okay. Um, again, my, my question around these types of companies is they're, they're making screens and glasses and cables. They're easily reproducible. I know they've got patents, but they will run out. And then you've got all these companies from China and from India that could make Gorilla Glass at, at a fraction of the price. Um, so I think really for a company like this, their R&D department is, is really, really important. What are their new developments? How are they staying on top of the curve? Um, and what innovation do they have? And I'm not clear on that. I don't know enough about the company, but that's probably the one thing I would focus on with this company. Nice. Um, Hussein has asked us, what do you guys think of ADP? Um, so I haven't looked at these guys in a long time. I think when I started my blog, it was one of the first companies that I had wrote about. I had also bought them at the time. Um, I will say, yes, very solid financially. Um, dividend growth rate is, is very good. 
depth is controllable. There's no red flags with the company. So it is a very, very, very good company. I haven't looked into them. I sold them back in, so I bought them in 2018. So I made one of these mistakes with these companies. Knowing you buy them, they were 106 euro or something. I think yeah. I bought them at something around that price level and they got to 170. I looked at them and said, wow, these guys are overvalued and sold them. I never thought any, any more of it. Looked at the price. Um, a little while ago, actually, and they were nearly double what I sold them for, so it was a big mistake. But generally speaking, from what I remember of the company, and um, they're in the human resources mm -hmm. field, um, they look quite good, the products look quite good. My, if I'm just think, thinking off the cuff here, I'm just thinking, how will AI benefit or impact a company like this? Someone that offers human, so, human resources um, packages and services, it'll either benefit them or it could have a yeah. huge impact. And I think that's one area I would like to study a bit more. But from from memory, it was a good company and definitely worth worth looking into. Good. Um, the next question is from Flo, and he's asked us, what do you think of Chinese stocks? So, and he asked if it's a no-go. So I generally would say I'm, I'm not really investing outside of Europe or America, but I do own uh, Alibaba as a value play. About like two years ago, of course, I'm big in the minus. Um, I'm still holding it because I still think the cash flow is there uh, and I still think it's undervalued. So for me, there's no reason uh, to sell it. It's part of this few percent of my portfolio where I have a little bit invested in growth stocks. So I... But fundamentally, I would say I would be really cautious generally if I look at global politics and how everything is going with investing in China. Uh, Alibaba was always a bit more convinced because of its size and, and, and the nature of their business. But it's not a market that attracts me. I much rather invest in a company that has a lot of sales in China, like Starbucks as an example. Yeah, Then I don't need to deal with all the complexity myself or that you have whole management doing that and, and that's a way of how you can also look at it yeah cool um for, for me chinese stocks is is one of these areas i do not know enough about as we know with alibaba regulation is is quite different in china to, to the rest of the world even though it can happen in america as well but i like to just stay away stick to stick to what you know and as you said before stick to dividend boys and girls but stick to stick to what you know is, is a little bit easier um so yeah um manny mystery then last question of the day um and i think this is a question for you he's asking about your thoughts um, of a polish company that came up on his screener called eurotel sa i think the ticker symbol is yeah. etl there on the warsaw exchange so actually i know this uh, company a little bit uh, just via my network and i know a few folks that work there um, they are always really happy talking about this company that they work there. So it seems to be a good uh, employer. Um, what, what people need to know probably is that, for instance, they are also, I believe, one of the resellers of, 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 of um, Apple, uh, T-Mobile, Canal Plus, and, and, and such. Um, the issue, uh, many, why I'm not so interested in this is, first of all, when I went to their investor relations website, it, it feels like it's a mess. Yeah, so that's already for me a bad sign that maybe there's not so much focus on the investor. Even just looking up the dividend history is not easy there. Uh, they have an English website and a Polish website. And yeah, maybe it's just me. Uh, but in that case, I would say it's not monkey monkey proof. Yeah, if, if I'm not <laughs> able to find it and I study and see a lot of investor relations websites. Second, it's it just has a 45 million market cap as he says and that's for me small market uh, cap um although usually you can you have a lot of upside potential when a company is relatively small based on market cap but i don't see eurotel as a grower internationally or something like that so also there i think it doesn't have so much room to grow as a as a as let's say a business yeah, the dividend yield at 9.5% sounds really attractive, uh, a good uh, compound annual growth rate, but mainly because of I can't get a proper feeling from it from a shareholder point of view if I just go already to the investor relations website and the market cap, I I'm not so interested. And and this is the nice thing of the joy of missing out. I mean, at a, uh, you can also get British American tobacco now at a 9% yield. You 
it is more it's more published there's more information about it so it's a little bit easier for me to understand and to and to follow yeah you're spoiled you 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 look at too many big caps um investor relation pages i i think i just looked at it um it's quite similar to a lot of small cap um, investors their the relations is quite basic um but yeah, it's it's the best. The best reason I've heard not to invest in the company is their <laughs> relations page is, is not. Yeah, yeah, it sounds it sounds stupid, but uh, it it tells you something about how they think about me as a shareholder, if they take me serious or not, or whether I'm an afterthought. Yeah, yeah, and if I go, for instance, to De Farma, we had we had uh, Matthias uh, Schade here on the podcast. If you go to their website, you almost get straight away the information you need. What is yeah. important there? Their portfolio. You straight away see the shops that they have the information is at your hand that that you need and also the dividend information so uh, it's also small cap small cap but he takes his shareholders really serious and, and and that's how yeah that's how you can look at it a little bit yeah 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 interesting the numbers certainly look good um as i said i'm not from poland i don't have a sense of what what the company would be like over there but from a numbers perspective it does look quite quite interesting i would have to say um but as i said it is small cap and it's an area I'm not too comfortable with either because the smaller the company, in my opinion, the bigger the risk. Um, so, yeah, nice nice company. Manny always comes up with some actually nice companies, particularly from, from Poland. So keep keep them coming. Good. So this is the end of the show. Thank you so much, Derek, to finding time in your really busy schedule. <laughs> uh, it's like always a pleasure to, to just discuss with you about dividends. And I hope that the listeners enjoy it just as much as I do. Uh, and I always love your stories about engineering stocks and the way you talk about it. It's clear that you have a lot of knowledge in that area. So thank you. Engineer my freedom. That's where the name comes from. But yes, look, um, apologies for being late again this week. Um, it was not for pleasure. It was for business this time. But we will be on time next weekend as well. So until then, see you all next week. Remember, both of us at Dividend Talk are not certified financial specialists through formal education. We are just two guys sharing our journey for inspiration and entertainment purposes. Hence, this is not investment advice. Although we do our best, we can't promise that the information discussed is always correct, nor appropriate for you or anybody else. We always recommend that you do your own due diligence and be accountable for your own choices. As we always say, you can't borrow conviction from others. Last but not least, by listening to our podcast, you agree to hold us harmless from any ramifications, financial or otherwise, that occur to you as a result of acting on information provided in this podcast. 